God is going to be doing. Um, and so I'd like to share with you uh, that process. We are in the book of Romans, and we've looked at chapters 1 through 8 to understand what salvation is. And Paul brought an amazing treatise of the legal understanding of how Christ died for our sins, becoming sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's an awesome thing. And now in chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's turning his gaze towards Israel. And, and he's saying, now what do we do with this group here? They, they were the guys who were supposed to bring salvation in. And salvation did come through the Jews, but so many of the Jews are rejecting Christ. They're not receiving him as Messiah. Paul uh, himself could testify to that. Do you remember who the first persecutor of the church was? Paul, Saul himself. So he really has a compassion for his, his countrymen and, and the place of Israel in uh, soteriology or salvation history. He's really got that burden. And we saw last week in chapter 9 that he was really crying out for them not to stumble over grace. That in the past, Israel had God's grace and favor on them, and Pharaoh stumbled, and, and Esau stumbled, and people stumbled over the grace of God upon others. And that was Israel. So Israel, don't you stumble over the grace that God has for others. God desires the nations to be saved. And I always think it's helpful when you're doing your Bible study and when you're reading, we always saw, say the Jews and the Gentiles, and we consider Gentiles. And that word has a particular kind of connotation. I would tell you to replace it with nations. And it puts the emphasis and understanding of what God's trying to do in, in the realm of salvation. All right? So salvation is uh, by the grace of God, isn't it? And, and it's by faith to the Jew first, then to the nations. We say Gentile, but say nations. And that way it'll give you an understanding of what God's trying to do right now. Remember he said, all powers have been given unto me in heaven and earth, below the earth. Now therefore go into all nations. And so he said, ask of me and I will give you the nations. Okay, so that's all nationalities. When prophet Joel said that the Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh, he didn't mean every single person. He meant every type of person. In other words, the nations. You, you getting this? Okay. And so in the plan of God, he had used Israel as a beacon and as a light among the nations to raise up and to bring the perfect law of God into the earth and to bring the covenants of God into the earth so that Messiah could come and then Israel with Messiah could preach to the nations. So sometimes we're so, we're so used to the religious word Gentiles that we're missing the point of what's supposed to happen. So chapter 9 is uh, Paul talking to Israel saying, don't stumble over this grace. God wants to bring grace to the nations. He wants to bring salvation to the nations. And you're hardening your heart like Pharaoh did against you. And, and you're, you're saying that God can't choose who he wants to save. But God can. And now he comes to chapter 10 and he spends a little bit of time as to what salvation is and how it is wrought. So we're going to go into Romans 10, but I'm going to do something a little different tonight. We're taking Romans 10, and I'm going to deconstruct it. I'm not going to follow it verse by verse, at least in order. I'll be going through all the verses, but I'm deconstructing it. In fact, what I'm going to do is give you a little introduction. Then I'm going at the end of chapter 10 and working my way backwards. Because it just 
the construct of it will help you understand the message of salvation that Paul is giving here. And not only do we want to understand what he's saying to Israel and the, the point of the message to Israel, but also we want to make it relevant to our lives today. And so that's why I'm going to deconstruct it and we'll put it back together in his theology and doctrine. And so let's turn to Romans chapter 10 and we'll start uh, right at the beginning. I'm not going to read the verses again. I'm going to give you the information uh, that are in the verses and it's this. Uh, He starts off in verse 1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. All right, now there's his motivation. I want them to be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites to be saved. How many of you remember last week he said, if I could give up my salvation for theirs, I'd do it. So he's zealous after this. He wants Israel to be saved. And here's his issue. He says this, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Do you know any religious people? Zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. I could list a whole bunch of different groups for you that are zealous for God. The the Jehovah Witnesses are zealous people. They go door to door, knocking on doors, trying to bring people to a knowledge of their God. And they use the term of their God, Jehovah. They use the name Jesus. But this is not the same Jehovah or Jesus of the scriptures so they are zealous for God without what knowledge there's another group of folks that came up in the uh, 1800s the Mormons and Mormons are zealous almost every Mormon spends two years on the mission field that's zeal for God so they have a zeal for God but they are without knowledge of scriptures that would put a burden upon those who have truth those who have the knowledge Where is our zeal? If they're going door to door, and they're spending two years, every one of them, on a mission field, yet, and they have a zeal, where's, where's, we got the knowledge, but where's our zeal? We could turn that around, couldn't we? For they have zeal, but no knowledge. Well, we've got knowledge, but where's our zeal? Come on. Wow. That's an indictment, and so we we have to stir up. Now, I'm not talking about that with you folks, because you are zealous people. I know it. You are a fiery, unzealous people, right? That was your chance to say amen, hallelujah, (laughs) glory to God. Wow, you just blew that one. All right, we'll go on. It says that they did not submit to God's righteousness. There was a righteousness that they were submitting to, but it was a righteousness of their own knowledge, not God's knowledge, and not the righteousness that God had been prepping them in. It's a righteousness that has always been by faith. You remember Romans 1.16. It's, it's been a righteousness by faith from first to last. It's always been by faith. Hosea said, the righteous shall live by faith. God had been speaking that into them, but in the process of living out their faith, they got caught up in the mechanics of it instead of the meaning of it. Do you know anybody that does that? Yeah. There's a lot of people caught up in the mechanics of Christianity and don't know the heart of it. You can stand up, sit down, pray, kneel, use beads, use verses, use pews, use kneelers, use whatever you want. All of it's good stuff. It's all the mechanics 
I'm not here to put down any of that because it's all the mechanics of praying and seeking God. But the problem is if you get into the mechanics and not the vehicle, you'll get nowhere. We can look at cars and go, ooh, whoa, look at that engine. Wow, that's great, man. Paint looks good. Whoa, but if you don't get in the car, you ain't getting nowhere. So what happened is Israel got into the mechanics of the law and the sacrifice and the offerings and the this and the that and and don't go this far on Sabbath and do this and don't do that, but it was without knowledge of God himself. And so they got caught up in the mechanics instead of the the mechanism or the model of what it is. Now he goes on to say, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They sought to establish their own. And Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, then all of the law was summed up in Jesus so that we could look to Him instead of our effort. Instead of everybody doing their thing for their own righteousness, all the law and God's righteousness was summed up in Christ so that we could all look to Him. Now, God demonstrated that when Israel was grumbling and complaining about manna. They are fed up with the manna. So God gave them food. They were sick of the food. They had quail for a day, and they got fed up with the quail. And so God sent vipers to begin biting them and causing disease, and they were dying. And so Moses interceded, and God sent the deliverer. What did he do? He said, you take a bronze serpent and put it on a staff. Now, that staff is a flagstaff. So there's a post and a crossbar. And that serpent was put up on that beam that looked like a cross and stuck in the ground and said, whoever will look at it in faith will be healed. Now that's a picture of Messiah. And that's exactly what God had done with the law. The law had condemned men. It was biting men. It was so righteous and holy. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and be that law. And he went nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, nailing our sins to that cross, and whoever will look to Christ in faith will be saved or delivered. Amen? Amen? So that's the gospel, isn't it? That's good news. But Israel was caught in the mechanics. Now Paul goes on in Romans 10, and he begins to quote Deuteronomy 30. And this is what Deuteronomy 30 says. So often we read the New Testament and we think, oh, Paul said this, this is great, Paul said that. You know what Paul was doing half the time? Quoting Moses. Okay? Okay? So Deuteronomy 30, I'll read it to you, verses 11 through 13. You have some outlines. Now what what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you may ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word's very near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. That was Moses. That was Old Testament. Paul is saying, can I tell you what that means in the New Testament? Right? Moses is trying to tell you, your salvation is not going to have to come from some mystical place in heaven. But heaven's coming down to you. You're not going to have to dig into the earth or into the sea or into the greatest depths, but it will rise up as Christ rose from the dead. The point being is this. It's not far away from you, it's here. Salvation is here. It is in your heart. It is by your faith 
that you're saved. It's not some Gnostic, mystical wisdom that you have to get. It is you confessing your faith and belief in what God has done for you. That's your heart's motivation. There's all sorts of mystical religions. How many of you know that, right? Kabbalistic mystery religions and things that, you know, smoke some peyote and you'll get some visions, and sure you will. You'll get all sorts of stuff. All these mystical, magical things, new age stuff. If you put a pyramid here, if you say, oh, long enough, something's going to happen. So, but, and that's what this is all about. God's saying it's not this mystical thing, not that mystical thing. It's right here. It's right in your heart. I'm after your heart. Come, let's reason together. I'm after your reasoning. And he begins to speak to us. Now, how does that happen? And here's where we're going to deconstruct chapter 10. I'm going to verse 17 now. And he makes this statement. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Hearing the word of God. Some translations say hearing the word of Christ, but the Greek is theos, and that's God. Hearing, of course, we know who is the word of God. Jesus, obviously. But just to put it in a general term, this is how we start with salvation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. God sent his word. He so loved the world, he sent his son right? God gave his word from Adam, the, the cool of the day. The word came walking in the cool of the day. God came to communicate. God is not mysterious. He doesn't want to hide. He wants to communicate. If there's problem hearing him. It's usually within us. But he came to communicate, and he says, so faith comes by hearing. That's what always gets me. Now, you can hear the word of God. We've got it on cassette. Well, wow, I dated myself. We've got it on CD, MP3, you can stream it on the computer. You can get the Word of God anywhere, can't you? You can turn in the radio, listen to the Word of God. Uh, so you can get the Word of God anywhere. But can I encourage you that if you're not going to church, and what am I talking to you for? You're here. You know, but we've got to get folks to get back into going to church. Because, well, I don't need to go to church. I listen to the Word of God. Come on, do you? Really? You know what? Uh, I know a lot of folks who... who you know, confess or say that they're doing a lot of things, but, but you've got to get in the routine of meeting together, fellowshipping together, iron sharpens iron, studying the Word of God together, meeting in small groups, large groups, two or more together, whatever it is, but listen to the Word of God. You've got to hear the Word of God. We, we, we'll get nowhere if we don't listen to the Word of God. Now, could I encourage you to study the Word of God, not just sermons, someone else's books, someone else's teaching. That's not what God had intended. He wants your faith to grow by you studying the Word of God and listening to His voice. Some of you are following Chuck Swindoll's faith, Charles Stanley's faith, right? Whoever, uh, Joyce Meyer's faith. Good teachers, all great teachers, great. We can learn from them. But that's not God's intention for you. He wants you to hear Him. We've got the greatest speaker of all time, Jesus Christ. And we don't listen to him, we listen to other people. So let me encourage you. Faith comes by hearing the word. Now how many of you know that you got saved because you heard the word of God? That's how you got saved. Can I tell you that? That's how the Holy Spirit was able to birth you alive 
because you heard the Word of God. There is something attached to the Word of God. It's called the Holy Spirit, and that is the very instrument that the Spirit uses to draw you to Jesus. In fact, the Word says in John chapter 6 that no man can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. That word draw in the Greek is drag. Yeah. And so what God did is he hooked you with the Word of God. The Spirit of God was in that Word. could have been put to you simply. It could have been deep. It could have been something. But the, that Word that you heard had the power of the Holy Spirit, and he just grabbed hold of you and drew you in. Right? That's how you got saved. That's, that's how the faith came to you. You might not have remembered it or thought of it like that, but the Holy Spirit dragged you into his love and into his presence and sometimes you need to be pulled out of the street because there's a truck coming to to hit you right right i mean the holy spirit saved us from a kingdom of darkness by the power of the word so the first thing we need to do is faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of god now you don't always have to quote the word of god verbatim but you can give the truth of that word because you see the Word of God is not necessarily uh, the order of the words in the King James or the NIV or the English Standard Version and all that because it's the same words you use in conversation every day, isn't it? They're the English words. So, I mean, there's nothing magical and mystical about those words, right? Hey, save me a candy bar. Save? Oh, I felt something when you said that. Ooh. But that's how we act sometimes. You know, according to John 6, chapter 5, it says this. Well, 6 is the chapter, sorry. According to John, chapter 6, verse 36, God said this, and we think that there's like, ooh, and everybody's going like, John, say, what? What is that? They don't know chapter and verse, and they don't care about chapter and verse. They don't even know what books are in the Bible. So don't worry about spitting out verses that you've memorized. I'm not denigrating memorization. It's great to memorize the Word of God. But why not know the Word and what it means and translate it into the situation? Right? All right, so it's much more effective to say, you know what, God so loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His Son. His very Word became flesh and He took sin on your sin on him so that you would not have to die now that's penetrating someone's life instead of you know john three sixteen says for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever perish shall not have it. you know what is begotten i don't understand this do you see what i'm saying so we can use the word of god but we have to put it into people's ears they've got to hear it that would mean we have to ah thank you very good all right, so faith comes by hearing. Now, let me give you a real quick testimony. We decided long ago when we bought this church and it had a sign out front that we were going to put a message out on that sign every week, and we decided not to buy that little book that has cute sayings. Um, I don't know if any of you are aware of it, but there's, they have books and things that you can put out. You know, what is missing? And it says C-H blank blank C-H you are. That's clever, isn't it? We decided not to do that because faith comes by what? Hearing the Word of God, right? So we decided, let's put Scripture. we got a billboard out here. Put the Word out. Put the Word out. And we've had phone calls and different people calling saying, thank you for the Word of God. I drive by your church every day and I read a verse from the Bible and it ministers to me. We've had people say that. And they said, please don't ever change. So, you see, we've got to put the Word out. 
In other words, let me put it to you this way. We've got to put the truth out. We've got to speak truth out there. Speak the truth of God's scriptures into people's lives. You don't have to quote verse and so forth. And you don't even have to apologize. You know it's in the Bible somewhere I don't know where. Skip that part of it. Just speak the truth. All right? Just say what it is. And, and they'll get it. Now, what Paul does is he goes a little further. And he really breaks this down. And he's talking about then how do you do that? And so he says this in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Well, see, if they don't believe in him, they can't call on him, can they? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? So here's a problem. You've got people who have not heard the gospel. They need to hear the good news. How are they going to put their faith in God if they've not heard the message? Now, this is elementary, isn't it? What would you say needs to be done? Paul answers that question real simple, right, with another question. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Someone's got to deliver the word. Why do we need to deliver the word to people? Because faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? The word of the Lord. Okay, you're with me so far. Right? This is kindergarten. This is basic. We forget sometimes. Okay, so how are they going to know who to believe in if they haven't heard? Who is going to go tell them? Great question. These are good questions. And how can anyone preach to them unless they're sent? How about that? Okay, so what do we have in the activity of reaching the lost? We've got senders and goers. That's even better. Nice one, Ed. Senders and sent instead of goers. Senders and sent, right? Okay, now, who should the senders be? Hmm. Who should the senders be? Well, ultimately, that's right, didn't he? So he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, below the earth, now therefore go. So Jesus sent us. In our lives, now who could be the senders for you? <laughs> Clarify. Yeah, the fivefold ministry. They said Tim Tyler, that, that's me. Uh, fivefold ministry, right? What are the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher supposed to do? Ephesians 4.11. Equip us to perfect, to complete, but to equip the saints, right, for works of service. Now, what has happened to this message is we have the pastors who we hire to go do the work. Isn't that? It's my job. I'm supposed to go reach the lost. That's what I get paid for. No, no, no. I'm here to equip you. But then what we did was we got missionaries. Missionaries are the ones who are supposed to go to foreign lands and preach. Is that the design? No. The fivefold is to equip the entire body, and the body is supposed to go wherever you're at, wherever you're at, every day, wherever you're at, you're being sent. 
You're here tonight on Wednesday so that I can impart unto you and equip you with the knowledge of the Word of God and increase your faith so that tomorrow, even tonight, wherever you go from here, you are being sent ultimately by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that's what God does. And when we go and we reach them, give them the news, they get saved. You wonder what I do with my time during the day. Now he goes on and he says this. How beautiful are the feet of them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. That good news. We're sent with a message to a lost and dying world. What is the message? Faith comes by hearing the word. What is that word? It is called the gospel. And gospel is Greek for good news. Now Paul specifically uses this because it's from Isaiah uh, 53 and he's talking about a statement that Isaiah made which was an illustration back in that day because they didn't have uh, email, they didn't have internet, they didn't have mail, they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have... uh, television or Morris code or or anything else you needed to get a message from one city to the next you got some guy to run for you okay and so you got a runner and so what you would do is tell the runner to go with the with the message now many times the people who are on the the city walls who are watching to see if there's any news yet as to the army that went out to fight for them what's the message they could see the runner coming okay And many times the runner's coming back to say either shut the gates, we're in a lot of trouble, (laughs) or hallelujah, we won. All right? And many times they could see how that runner was running as to the attitude of the message. Right? People are reading us with the attitude of our message. How beautiful are your feet with the news that you're delivering? Right? And so they're watching, and so they're spying. They didn't invent binoculars yet, but they thought that this was cool. And so they're watching, and they're going, what do you think? He looks like he's limping. Now, come on, what do you think? Is he happy or sad? Uh, Tired. I know, but what's going on? Now, usually if his head's down, he's running like this, or if he's happy and he sees his own city, what's he going to do? Yeah. Good news. He'd be, you know, demonstrating good news. This is great. Then they're going like, oh, he doesn't look too good. You go tell the king. I ain't telling the king nothing. Let him tell the king. (laughs) Right? And so the saying was, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Right? So when any stranger came into the synagogue, anybody came into town, they'd ask him, hey, what's the gospel? And what were they asking for? What's the good news? Right? And when they do that with Paul, and he'd visit the synagogue every Sabbath, and he was this visitor in the city, he knew that, and he knew he would be asked the question, what's the gospel? I'm glad you asked. Then he'd get kicked out of the synagogue <laughs> for telling him. But it was good news, and so that's a great question for you and I. Well, how, do, how beautiful are your feet? Are we delivering a message of good news? Or have we turned it into a message of do's and don'ts? 
Have we turned it into a message of the mechanics of the kingdom? Have we turned it into something other than good news that saves souls? Remember how we've uh, backed away and uh, we've become more politically correct and how we've lowered the bar on, on our declaration of what God wants to do with morality and saving people from sin? We've backed away from all that. We've got to th- believe that we've got good news. Amen? Did it do something for you? Well, then, then what are we waiting for? I mean, when's the last time you ate something and went, oh, this is great. You want to taste it? You want to try? You got to try this. Who does that? Does anybody here do that? Right? Or you see a movie you like? You, did you see that show? Ooh, you got to see that one. Right? That's what we've got to do with the kingdom of God. Now he goes on and he says this. This is how this all takes place. He says in verse 9, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. He goes on, he says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. All right. Now, what he says is, if you will say, Jesus is Lord, you're saved. Or did he say more than that? More than that. Okay, so if you confess Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. So there's a two-part process to this. And in fact, what he's saying is, is that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart. Now, we know that there's a principle in Scripture. We see it in Luke chapter 6, 45. That out of the abundance of the heart, or the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Now, Jesus said that, and he's talking about cursing and anger. You've seen that. How many of you have seen that? You see someone's heart angry, upset, and they go, blah, and they speak, right? You've done that. You hit your finger with a hammer, and your heart is filled with all sorts of words and colorful things to say, right? Well, it's the same in any, any aspect of our being. Out of the innermost parts of us, whatever stimulates us and fills us up will flow out of our mouths. It's the same word, that word filled, filling, it's the same word with being filled filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues. It's the same word that says when the Pharisees were filled with rage, they began to curse Saul or Paul or Stephen or whatever, right? Filled with rage. It's the same word. The concept is being filled, you release a confession. And so the idea of salvation is that belief will energize your confession we have limited that and we have in some ways minimized that and what's happened is we've almost made it into a statement of faith if you say this you'll get saved and so we try to get people to say the sinner's prayer but can i tell you if they don't believe it they're not saved 
Be careful not to give people a false identity. And if you've led someone in the sinner's prayer, would you confirm and ask, do you believe this? Do you understand it? Do you know in the early church they would not take in converts for any less than a year so that they understood and knew what they believed? You know how many people I have led to the Lord because they wanted the food we were offering or the drink or the clothing you know what, in, in, I've gone in other countries and you minister and they see that you have things that you're giving away and you say, well, if you accept Jesus as your Lord, sure, okay, fine. And they'll go down to the next handout that's Muslim and they'll pray to Allah or whoever else. They just need the, the goods. Now, did I lead them to the Lord? No. I had them repeat a phrase. So you can say Jesus is Lord and that doesn't mean you're saved. You could recite the entire uh, Apostles' Creed. You can get baptized. You can go to church and say, Hallelujah, glory to God. And guess what? If you don't believe here, you may not be saved. You will not be saved. James says, for even the demons believe. They have an identity of God. It's more than just saying a phrase. Now, what does Paul know about the cost of confessing Christ? When he says, if you confess Jesus with your mouth, that's a little different in that day and age and that culture than it is for us today, isn't it? How hard is it for you to say, I'm a Christian? Pretty easy. What have you given up for Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Now, in that culture, did Paul have any understanding of what it meant to confess Jesus as Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It cost blood. Do you remember who was standing at the martyrdom of Stephen? Paul. He officiated that thing. He officiated the persecution of, of Stephen, and he officiated and gave him the head nod to stone the man to death. Do you think he understood the cost? Then when he himself made that confession, he had to escape for his life on how many occasions? And emptied down out of a basket, out of the wall. He was, in fact, stoned to where they thought he was dead. He was able to crawl away from there. Oh, he understood. You see, in other words, to publicly identify yourself with Christ could cost everything. You could lose your job. You could lose your status. You could lose your property. You could lose your health. You could lose your freedom, your family, and even your life. So this is no small thing. We've made it a small thing. We've made it a little confession. Just come on up here and say, I believe in Jesus, and you're going to have eternal life. Your very nature is going to be dramatically changed. It can happen that quickly, but it's got to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of your tongue. You get that? Now, am I saying don't lead people in the serious prayers? I'm not saying that at all, because we don't know somebody's heart. I can't tell you if their heart's ignited with faith or not. I can't tell you that. I don't know. So I'll lead people in the sinner's prayer as often as I can. But I need to disciple them to make sure they know what they've said. And so I can see if they really believed it. And give it a little bit of time and you'll see whether they did or they didn't. Now let's look at the mechanics of this thing. Speaking something doesn't save you. Faith is based in you by the Spirit of God. We talked about this. Why does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. Just hearing? Just, just hearing. Or understanding. 
There's a whole lost world out there that's heard the gospel how many times? And do they, do they believe? No. It hasn't been ignited by faith. Right? Uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that all of Israel was rescued out of Egypt, but they didn't mingle God's promises with faith. And where did they all die? In the desert. All right? It's not just a matter. We've got to get this thing right. This is a Holy Spirit activated thing. It's not just playing. It is and it isn't. <laughs> How can I say that? Because you're sowing seeds. You're putting the word out there and the Spirit can save people through them hearing that word and then there's a bunch of other people who hear it and don't get saved. They reject it. So it's not just hearing the word. It's understanding the word. It's receiving the word. It's igniting that word by faith and the Spirit of God birthing in you. That's salvation. So, what should we do? Share the Word of God to as much people as we can. Doesn't mean they're all going to get saved, but you share the Word of God. Have them pray the sinner's prayer. Doesn't mean they're going to get saved just because they said the sinner's prayer. This is the work of salvation. Pray that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide them. Amen? And that they will be birthed by the Spirit of God, just like all of you were. Now, we may have some people sitting in here tonight who have heard the Word of God, have, have been in church and so forth, but have never ignited in, by faith a belief in exactly who Jesus is. And so they're not saved, though they're sitting in our midst. Okay? But they said the sinner's prayer. Yeah, but if they didn't believe, you must believe in your heart before you confess with your mouth. Now, he said this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now what does it mean to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? There's a lot to that. Why was Jesus dead? Okay, he was crucified. His death's important, right? If you're going to talk about his resurrection, you've got to figure out why he died. I mean, you can tell people, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Nah, I don't know, I guess so, if you want me to. It's such an abstract concept, you know, I don't, sure, he's, yeah, boom, I believe in ghosts. No, he's not a ghost, he rose from the dead. Well, I guess that could happen, you can resuscitate. No, no, you're not getting this. <laughs> right, I mean, you can get people to believe anything, but it's understanding. If you believe that Jesus rose from, that was resurrected for our justification, there's a lot there. What does that mean? Why was Jesus put to death? For our sins. So his death was for an atonement for our sin. And so all of the world's sin was put on Jesus. He was judged at the cross and put to death to fulfill the righteousness of the law and exchange our sin for his relationship with the Father, with his righteousness. If you don't get this, how are you going to give them the good news? You've got to give them the good news. There's the good news. So then if they believe Jesus rose from the dead... There's a lot to that. If Jesus rose from the dead, the Father accepted or received his sacrifice. Therefore, we are justified or no longer considered sinners. And so if I put my faith in that, salvation comes. You getting it? And if salvation comes, what is the outflow of that Spirit coming into me? A confession that Jesus is my Lord. Not just my Lord, He is Lord. That means He's Lord of my life, 
Lord of my possessions, Lord of my desires, Lord of all. Amen? When you come to a knowledge of Christ as Lord, He is Lord over all. Now, what comes with the confession that Jesus is Lord? James says there better be some evidence of your faith. Right? Now, here's another thing that we've backed away from in the church. You see what's happened with salvation? We say, hey, repeat this prayer after me. Say this prayer. You're saved. You're good. Okay, good. Hey, if you can get to church, we'll see you, I don't know, whenever you can. Maybe Easter, Christmas, you're good. Right? What would a confession that Jesus is Lord produce? What would be the first thing that should be evident that if Jesus is Lord, what should be evident? Repentance? Obedience. What is the first act of obedience? Baptism. First act of obedience, you need to be baptized. Okay? What if we began to put a demand on people to show their obedience to Christ? Because, I'm sorry, but could I repeat something? What is the Great Commission? Here it is. Oh, almost. Almost. You haven't hit the word yet. Wow, this is interesting. This is a little scary, isn't it? What's the one word we've all missed? Pastor Ron? Obey. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. You see how it's missing in the church today? We can't do that. No one's going to come back. If Jesus is Lord, they will. I'll tell you what, we could empty out most of the churches. If we began to tell people, you need to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know about that. Right? See, now what are we building here? Zealous people for religion? Do you see what Paul is after here? Now this is the point, and this is challenging to us. Because the Great Commission isn't just to go. It's not just to make disciples. There are people who make disciples of Buddha, disciples of Confucius, disciples of football, disciples of everything. And they go throughout all the world. There's people who make disciples of Pepsi. Pepsi's in every corner of the earth. And they have followers from everywhere. Everybody loves Pepsi. People are zealous for Coke and Pepsi. I was in Pakistan, northern Pakistan. You can't get there on these one-lane trucks. I'm telling you, I felt like I was going to die I don't know how many times. One-lane truck lanes around mountains, and you get to this small village that's huts, and we couldn't even get tires for our cars, but I could get a Coke! (laughs) The drivers for Pepsi and Coke are zealous. Isn't that crazy? How do they recruit these people? Well, what happened to the church? Because what's happened is we've been losing power because we have not taught people to obey the commands of Christ. So if I'm going to say I'm saved and my confession is Jesus is Lord, you must obey your Lord and King. And it would be our job, one to another, and the fivefold ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to teach you to obey the commands of God. 
The first step of obedience is you must be baptized. Now that is pretty minimal for us in our culture because that's, that's cool, you know, I'll go get dunked in the tank. But if you're in India, if you're in Africa, if you're somewhere else, baptism is no small thing. Your family will do everything they can to stop you from being baptized. They will kidnap you. They will rescue you. They will stop you because the one thing they do not want is you to be baptized because every culture, every religion knows and understands the minute you're baptized, you're his. You're lost to them. And then once you're baptized, the next thing they'll do is kill you. It's no small thing, but it's become something minimal here. But baptism is that place of coming into full surrender. Now, after baptism, what would be the next thing that we need to see that Jesus is Lord? We need to see that he's Lord of your life. He's Lord of your routine. He's Lord of your activities. He's Lord of what you do and what you say. Your behavior changes. Your activities change. The people you're with change. How you spend your money changes. What your pursuits and goals in life change. See, salvation for us is I signed the paper, I said the poem, and now I'm saved, and I've added Jesus to the activities of my life. I bought insurance, and it's in my back pocket, and that's good. Wow, do you see how that falls so short of what a life-changing transformation salvation really is. And I'm afraid we've done a disservice to so many people. And there are so many people who in that day when they say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he said, depart from me for I never, what? Knew you. Now, those are not saved people. That's very important. Matthew 7 is not talking about saved people. Because don't you think Jesus has to know people who are saved? <laughs> right? I mean, now, isn't that the connection here? You're saved because you have faith in Jesus and he knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. These are deluded people. These are people who don't know God. But wait a minute, didn't it say they cast out demons? And they, Yeah, there's a lot of different cult groups and different folks. The demons will do what they want them to do and keep them in their uh, persuasion. And there's certain ways that you can do incantations and you can cast out this and that. But they didn't know Jesus. So these are not people who are saved, but these are people who think they're saved and say Jesus is Lord. So they have a zeal, but not a knowledge. Right? Israel has a zeal, and Israel has the oracles of God, and Israel has the salvation of God wrapped up in its history, but they did not receive the Savior. It's like us having altar calls and people who know and understand, but they don't come into a birth, a faith of Jesus Christ. And so... It's not just a small thing, but it's faith by hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, receiving it, and having faith activated that the Spirit regenerates their being, and a confession comes out of their mouth, and a surrendered life now serves the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is upon that Jesus said, I will build my church. Because in the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And everybody gives a response, and Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, You didn't figure that one out. My Father revealed that to you. And he says, You are Peter, and upon this rock. Now, Peter is a word for a small stone. 
He says, you are Peter, a little chip, but upon this rock, your confession, I will build my church. So it's the confession, it's faith in who Jesus is that the church is built. So we can't get this wrong, or we will build a building that's askew, right? Believe me, there's a purging coming. There's a time when people are going to have to be confronted with the gospel. They have to understand that when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. But we understand that what it means to believe in your heart is for you to fully understand. Well, you don't have to fully understand it because who really does, right? But you have to trust what Christ did for you on the cross. That's your salvation. And by doing that, there is a transformation in you that causes you to confess Jesus is Lord in a true, real way. Right? And there you're saved. And that's not Laura DeGuano. (laughs) Doesn't it look like Laura DeGuano? Anyways, all right. Let me close out with this. So what does Paul say? At the end of Romans 10, did Israel hear? Yes. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Did Israel understand? Moses said, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. In other words, this gospel's going out, and they're getting jealous and upset. Yeah, they've heard it. They understand it, but they're not receiving it. And Isaiah said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. That's the nation's. And last of all, he says concerning Israel, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And they would not. And we enter into Romans chapter 11, which will tell us the fate of Israel and the fate of all those who do not believe. Jesus came to Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you together as a mother gathers her hens but you would not. Brothers and sisters, there are people around about us all day long who are ready and ripe to receive that word by faith. Can I tell you there's more people than you believe? Most of us have a tendency to believe there are more people that will reject us than receive us. What if we would flip that? What if we would say that there's more people ready to receive Christ than not? If we could speak the word of the Lord by the unction of the Holy Spirit, it would cut through their pain, cut through their anger, cut through their bitterness, and begin to speak life into them. Not just Bible verses, but life. Because it's coming out of a heart that's real, a heart that's changed, a heart that's not zealous for religion, but zealous for God's own heart. And God's own heart weeps for the lost. They'll hear that. There's a harvest coming. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that they may go. Now, we've got enough right here to turn this world upside down. How many of you are ready for that? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.